welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings. I am joined by your host, Jen Gallagher. And I am joined by your host, Michael Rowland. We're coming at you with a very special episode. We got some big news, hot off the presses. Big news. The biggest news that we've gotten so far, which isn't saying much because they're so tight-lipped. But uh, this is breaking news. Insert insert uh, news. All right. They officially released the first sort of teaser video, not a trailer, just sort of a teaser video, get everybody licking their chops. Uh, and we're going to just talk about that and get into all the, there's a lot a lot to get into in this little image, in this little video. Um, but before we get into that, just spoiler alert, we want to let everybody know this episode has spoilers, lots of spoilers, exclusively spoilers. So if you want to go into the show spoiler free, then turn off your phone now, smash it against a rock, throw it in a lake because uh, we're about to spoil things for you. Um, maybe you don't need to go that far. You could probably just turn off the phone. We cannot wait this. I can't wait to dissect this with you, Michael, because it really is the most extensive piece of media we have gotten from Amazon Prime. And they just release it totally unexpectedly. So I, I'm really excited for all the other little Easter eggs we're going to get. Um, but I, I think there were some surprising choices that we can talk about. I was there were some surprising choices, and I, I was I, I'm like surprised. you. I didn't know this was coming. I, I'm sure someone out there knew it was coming, but I think it was more or less a surprise. And I woke up to just you know all my alerts going nuts because uh, I have my phone set up to alert me whenever anybody sneezes anything that sounds like Gollum. Um, my phone tells me about <laughs> it, um, and so yeah, it, it was really exciting. And let, before we get into all that, I think now is a good time to just let everybody know a, a quick change about the channel. Uh, up until now, we've been doing episodes. Our formatting is, you know, we talk about the Jackson's films and we get into that kind of deep content where we're looking at various adaptations. We're looking at old Hobbit cartoons and we'll be looking at painters and all kinds of stuff. And that's sort of been the meat and potatoes of our off-season um, content when the Amazon show isn't airing. And we've also mixed that in with news. Whenever there's news, we start an episode with some news. Um, you may have noticed the last few episodes, we have switched that up. We've done news-only episodes and episodes where we just look at the Jackson films. And that is going to be what we're doing going forward because we got a little bit of feedback that, hey, some people who really like listening to us talk about the films and listening to us talk about adaptations, they don't want to be spoiled on the show. They want to go into the show totally spoiler-free. You know, Maybe they've read the Silmarillion, maybe they haven't. Either way, they don't want to get any leaks. They don't want to know what kind of plot lines are coming. And so we don't want to spoil that experience for those people. And we want those people to be able to enjoy our podcast without worrying about that. Um, so we are going to decouple the spoiler stuff, the news stuff from all the other substantive content. So if you're into the substantive content, you don't want to be spoiled, you're all good. And if you're a person who's all spoilers all the time and that's what you really care about and that's what you tune in for, then you will get every now and then an episode that is totally devoted to news. So we think that'll be better to, for everyone and it'll allow everyone to listen to this podcast with confidence and without worrying that they're about to get something terribly spoiled. That being said, let's get into the terrible spoiling territory um, with this with this teaser. And I think, Jen, don't you think we should just start by playing? It's a short clip. It's about a minute. Let's play it. Let's play the audio. And then we'll read a, a description of it. For those of you who haven't seen it, you know, we'll have the, the link to it in the show notes so you can go watch it. Um, but we want you to be able to experience it real quick here.
for the elven kings. Under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords. In their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men, doomed to die. One for the Dark Lord, on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. I am jacked! I am jacked! <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. So much to unpack here. I think the first thing that struck me really powerfully was all the continuity between the Jackson adaptations and this adaptation. I mean, the music is really similar, and the aesthetic, the whole visual aesthetic, is very similar. It's using a lot of natural elements in the natural world with the water and the wood and things like that. Um, and, and that excited me. And then just the title itself, which we haven't even mentioned the title. So the official oh, yeah. title of the show is the Ra Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is the title of the show. So this was a huge piece of news uh, to begin with because we didn't actually have a working title. So I think this is very smart for a few reasons. I'm glad that they're focusing on the Rings of Power because I think it's going to draw that fan base that's excited about this origin story, excited about the backstory. And it'll draw fans also who may not be as excited about some of the more obscure plot lines in the Tolkien world, but they have a reference point. They know, okay, the Ring of Power is what it's all about. If they have a vague knowledge, they're going to be excited about this, seeing the actual rings forged and come into being and how they came into being. I think that'll excite all the fans, not just the really hardcore fans. I agree. I think it, it is a smart naming move. Um, I, I think we could have guessed that they were going to go this direction, that it was going to be Lord of the Rings uh, colon something. Because from a branding perspective, it would have been a huge missed opportunity not to include Lord of the Rings. It just wouldn't have made any sense. You don't buy a Lord of the Rings property and not put Lord of the Rings in the title because it, it just instantly tells everybody what this is about. It, 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 gets them excited um, and everybody's keyed into it just immediately. So you have to include Lord of the Rings in the, in the title. So I'm not at all surprised that they did it that way and then did sort of like, you know, semicolon, the subtitle. Um, and it, it opens, in addition to everything you were talking about in terms of what plot lines it might indicate the show will focus on. And I think we can get into that more. Uh, it also suggests and leaves very wide open the idea that they would have spinoffs. I mean, it makes sense that they would have Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, and then another spinoff show. It's, you know, Lord of the Rings, Aldarion and Arendis, or Lord of the Rings, the Mariner's Wife, or whatever. Um, it, it's a perfect right. setup for that. They don't have to do that. They could just leave it as Lord of the Rings, the Rings of, of Power, because this show does seem like it's going to be very sweeping and cover a lot of the Second Age. So if it is kind of a mediocre show and they don't want to do a bunch of spinoffs, they could just leave it as is. So it, it really made sense to do it this way. Um, Rings of Power. Let's kind of get into what that name suggests in terms of the plot of the show. Um, I, we, we've already known that it was, the show was going to depict to some degree, the making of the rings of power. We knew that was going to be in there, but a lot of the leaks we've gotten so far have kind of suggested that the focus of the show will be later in the second age. 
the Numenorian plotline, Isildur, who we know is near the end of the very end of the second age, uh, shows up in season one, early in season one, like episode three, after the two prologue episodes, Isildur is going to be a main character. So, okay, if the Numenorian plotlines and Isildur in the end of the second age are going to be the focus, a lot of people were speculating, including us, that the forging of the rings of power and those early conflicts might not be a focus of the show, at least not in the first season. So the fact that they named it the rings of power reigns me back in and makes me think, okay, no, no, no. They are going to have two parallel plot lines here um, where they focus a lot on the forging and those early plot lines with Galadriel and Celebrimbor uh, and Gilgalad and, and, and Sauron as Anatar and maybe bouncing back and forth between that plot line and, at that early second age timeline and the later second age timeline with Isildur. Um, it right. also makes me think that, you know, rings of, it's not the ring of power. It's the rings of power. And they could have gone either way. The ring of power, of course, being the one ring that Sauron forged and the rings of power being the three to elves, the nine to mortal men, the seven to dwarves. 20 rings total. 20 rings total. And, you know, some other visual indicators in this, um, teaser very much suggests that rings of power in particular would refer to the elven rings and that I, I think we can expect a lot of the plot lines to focus around where these rings are how they're changing hands what they're doing and that'll be kind of a thematic core of the show what do you think about all that yeah I think that's reinforced I think what you mentioned about Galadriel being huge in the show and that whole cohort is reinforced by the fact that they had her narrating this clip like I'm not that was that was those were Galadriel's words that sort of mirrored the prologue to the Lord of the Rings and and just to be clear that's not 100% confirmed but I think it's a very reasonable speculation I, I listened to a live stream with the one ring.net this morning where they were talking about it and they had asked for confirmation that that was Galadriel and they didn't get confirmation so Right now, it's just a speculation, but I think it's a, a very reasonable speculation that that is Galadriel. That sounded like Morphe Clark's voice it did. to me. It did, absolutely. And, um, and that voice is so, it's a great voice. It's very distinct. It, you could totally believe that that's a young Kate Blanchett, uh, mm -hmm. a young Galadriel. So, yeah, I think that was a really smart choice. Those words are familiar. We know those words. And yes, in terms of plot line, we still don't know where exactly the emphasis is going to lie, but it's clear they've made it clear that this is the focal point. The rings are the focal point. And even if it jumps around and we see different phases of these these folks in possession with the rings, um, it's clear that we're going to see them forged because that was such mm -hmm. a key part of this video because you can they're pouring they're pouring a liquid substance that we can assume they're forging the rings right so that's going to be right. a big part of it seeing these things come into being and be dispersed and where that leads and so it, that's exciting that's something i can get behind because i have been really confused by all the the leaks out there in the news trying to figure out how this all fits together Mm -hmm. uh, so it's good to have this news that sort of, okay, we know what it's going to be about. I can get behind this plot. I'm excited about this. Yeah, it's a good, strong name. And one thing that's very smart about it is it is not focused on any one character. So they're not tying the success of the show 
in in too firm a way to any one particular plotline like Galadriel or Isildur, which of course they will have primary characters and and that will be important. We will need to buy into certain characters and fall in love with them and care about their arc and everything. But um, they're not saying, you know, Lord of the Rings, the story of Galadriel or something like that. This is the Rings of Power. So this is going to be a broad, sweeping, epic story that has many different major characters. And they could really, by making the rings and the the travels of the rings, a core plot line, it allows them to have continuity between multiple different stories, multiple different characters kind of bounce around. And we as viewers can kind of find the through line by watching the rings and where they're going. That is something which is so much right. Which is so much like the Peter Jackson films. I mean, they deliberately tried to make the ring a character in the films, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about many times on the show, but I think it's, it's sounding like it's going to be similar where we're going to, the rings are going to feel like active, characters and their influence is going to be really clearly depicted their influence among these characters as we watch Numenor fall because of you know Sauron's influence and the and the ring's influence and things like that one little last nugget on the title before I lead us into the next little bit here the one ring.net did confirm that this title is the title for the entire series it's not the subtitle for just the first season and there's some shows that do that they have sort of an anthology style show where like American Horror Story, where each season is kind of a little bit standalone and it has its own subtitle and it's loosely, the the, the universes and the each season is loosely connected, um, but they all kind of stand alone. And they could have done that with Lord of the Rings. It's such a huge universe. They could have had, you know, a Numenorean plotline in season one and then uh, an earlier Second Age or a Dwarven plotline in, in season two and had them kind of as separate standalone. Um, seasons with different subtitles, but that's not what they're doing. It is the name for the entire show, so we can hang our hats on that. Um, so I think next let's let's get into the the what's actually going on in the teaser, and then we'll sort of the visuals and everything, and then let's end with the music. And I want to read here uh, Lord of the Rings on Prime when they tweeted out from their official Twitter account this teaser video. They accompanied it with a series of tweets to describe it, which. First off, I want to comment, good on you, Amazon, making the content accessible to everybody, you know, to the hearing impaired, um, including descriptive text with, with these teasers just shows that you are on your, on your game and not letting certain people fall by the wayside in terms of their ability to enjoy the material. Uh, the official descriptive text says, and again, go out and watch it if you can. Um, but again, if you're visually impaired and you're listening here, this is what happened in the teaser. The descriptive text says, the video opens on the camera moving through what appears to be canyons filled with mist. Cut to fire, coming down the canyon, a river of molten lava visible below it. As the voiceover begins, the camera pulls back to reveal we are not in a canyon, and the molten substance begins to fill up what might be symbols or letters. A wave of water flows over it, cooling it as steam is released. The molten substance darkens and hardens to reveal it is some sort of metal with symbols on the side of it. The camera pulls back through the mists to reveal the words, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, on a wood background. So really all that was happening visually <laughs> in this teaser is not a scene from the show. It's, there's no characters. There's no settings. It is just a really, really cool, high-definition, up-close, granular look of letters being forged like a ring would be forged. The first little piece of information I want to dig into, and it's the part that I'm personally most excited about 
is that none of this was CGI. It was all mm -hmm. practical effects. This was done with a real forge, real water, and it looks stunning. It looks incredible. It looks incredible. And this is so encouraging to me. Somebody who's so anti-CGI, don't care about CGI. Give me a good plot. Give me good characters, good acting, good script. I don't care. And I just love the raw elements. It's it's so good. And so just based on this, I'm like, all right, their emphasis is in the right place. <laughs> yep. Give us simple but visual, visually stunning elements. And I got to be honest, when I first started watching it, I thought it was CGI because the colors were so sharp. There was all this contrast. I was like, this isn't this isn't real. There's no way this could be real. It has to be CGI. And uh, it wasn't until after uh, when I watched, there's a little behind the scenes look that was exclusively um, tweeted out by, uh, I'm forgetting the outlet, but like IGN or something, but you can, you can look it up. There's a little behind the scenes trailer that actually shows um, the props people pulling this off. And you can see the camera flowing over the, the wood basin with the molten uh, metal flowing through it. And, um, TheOneRing.net, again, they talked about this in their live stream this morning, and some of them got access to that facility and were able to sort of watch what was happening. And they said it was, uh, they couldn't get too close because of the heat. I mean, it was a real forge. There was a real forge wow, going on. They wow. had to liquefy this metal. And so they couldn't get that close due to heat and safety concerns. But they just talked about how exciting the vibe in the room was because of the, they knew what they were doing was kind of special. And Consider the fact that this teaser video probably cost a ton of money to do, you know, a real, a real four to do real practical effects for this. And just the look and feel of it, they had, um, they had original music that's playing over it. This is not the opening sequence for the show. This isn't the, this isn't going to be used again. This is created only for this purpose. Uh, maybe they'll repurpose it for future advertising reasons, uh, for advertising purposes or mix it, cut it together for other trailers and teasers but this is not a part of the show um and so the fact that they went to such great lengths to produce um, uh, such a wonderful practical effect that they're not going to use again and they're going to have to spend so much money on another opening you know credits opening scroll for the show it just wow they're putting all the money on their money on screen they're like we got half a billion dollars we're going to use every single penny of it i mean that was over a million dollars to create that teaser right there. I guaranteed. think just the care and attention that went into it is is encouraging for me. Like the care and thought, because I've been so discouraged recently on the news that's come out about some comet landing on the on Middle Earth and birthing a character. <laughs> you know, I've been I, I've I've been like, oh no, they're straying into Marvel territory or they're taking it in some strange direction. So for me, that was a really discouraging piece of news. But I'm. I'm sort of uh, reignited. My enthusiasm has been reignited by this, this trailer, mm -hmm. as, as this teaser, as short as it is, I think it speaks volumes about where their head is at. Absolutely. And uh, one little fun tidbit that we learned, um, again, I picked this up from thewondering.net, was that, so if you watch the teaser and you can see the lava flowing through, and there are some moments where there are kind of sparks that spark up or light up a slightly different color than the lava itself. And that was an effect that was created by sprinkling uh, chemical dust into the grooves of the wood so that when the lava, you know, the, the liquefied metal hits it, 
it would ignite and spark this bright flash of slightly different color. And what a cool effect. It is very visually stunning and it's, it's very interesting that they, it was a great idea and I'm glad they, they did it and we're putting so much attention into this. Very effective. Definitely. So let's get into what we're actually seeing here. Um, the opening visual sequence is you see sort of a mist and you heard it when I uh, read the descriptive text. There's a mist that's sort of flowing over the wood. I got to tell you, when I first saw that that image, it was very reminiscent to me of there are some shots in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. that it, it reminded me of from the opening prologue oh, yeah. sequence when Kate Blanchett is doing her vo- voiceover. There are some shots of mists um, over the lands. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the mist on the Barrow Downs and the sweep of the camera reminded me very much of the opening shots to the two towers when the mm-hmm. camera is sort of flying over the mountains um, and then bringing us into Gandalf's fight with the Balrog. Um, I was like, I, I don't know if they did this deliberately any, in any way, but it felt, felt very reminiscent of scenes that we had seen in Peter Jackson's films. And it felt like they were, they were, sort of um, tugging at those heartstrings, just hitting those chords throughout this teaser. Oh, definitely. As I mentioned in the beginning, there's so much continuity. And I think that is also just so smart. It's something we recognize. We can latch on to that. It's, It's sparking nostalgia for all of these fans who've waited so long to see something else of quality on screen. Um, and and the mist, what a smart choice! I just mist is so such an integral part of the Lord of the Rings on film. There's so many scenes, and there's also so many places, the misty mountains, and so many misty references in the books that 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 had to be such a deliberate choice and an and an obvious one. We're gonna right. open with this misty scene and and set the tone that this is Middle Earth and we're back here again. Right. And something that I did not notice right away, but um, uh, Sean Marchese from the Prancing Pony podcast made this comment online somewhere that what you see in the beginning is the mist is air. And then we see the lava, right? That's fire. And then we see the water come in. Okay. Water. Mm. And that calls our attention to the three rings of power, Narya, the ring of fire, Nenya, the ring of adamant. Um, which is, you know, supposed to evoke water, and Vilya, the Ring of Air. Um, right. So I thought that was such a cool touch um, to very subtly so cool. and not explicitly um, give you an homage, again, a visual homage to the Rings of Power. The again, the attention that's that's they're paying attention. They're they're thinking about these things deeply, and that is what we want to see. Absolutely. And did you notice that when the water comes in, so, you know, we see the molten lava flowing around in these grooves of the wood, and then some water comes through and sort of washes away. At that moment, uh, the water comes in at the moment that the ring verse says, um, you know, nine for men doomed to die. Doomed to die. And the water comes in. Again. Water comes in. I mean, that's the downfall of Numenor, right? Yes, I, I'm really excited about that plot line because there's such a, you know, there's there's so much there. There's so many good stories in Numenor. And we know we're going to see 
are Farazone and there's going to be female power players and there's going to be mm-hmm. so much political turmoil there and uh I I just yeah I can't wait I can't wait for that aspect and I think that the fact that we know the ring and Sauron plays such a huge role is really exciting and I think I could see them just using each race right the dwarves the elves and men and focusing on how did these how did the rings corrupt each group and let's really show how this happened how this unfolded and that's that's really smart a right. really smart yeah approach so something that so let's get into the music now because that is something that i think a lot of people sort of gloss over they focus on the visuals and you know for good reason visuals are awesome but the music we've talked about it before the music and howard Shore's score was such a crucial part of what made jackson's oh, lord yeah. of the ring trilogy such a success and something that we keep coming back to and back to and back to uh, because the score is just so beautiful and and gets right to your soul and so i was listening closely what is this score going to sound like and what does the sound design even sound like and i i was not disappointed at all um it was just a no, tidbit beautiful we don't know what the whole score is going to sound like but they did some stuff in there that was really very cool um if you listen to the first notes just the first two notes and actually let me let me play them here So just those first two notes, those are the same first two notes that Howard Shore used to start mm-hmm. off the ring theme in Jackson's. In those, in the films, it was played by the violin. Here it's played by a bassoon, which gives it kind of a different feel. But those first two notes are exactly the same. But then the motif goes in a different direction. And so... It's no coincidence. I mean, we already talked about how Howard Shore is one of the co-composers um, for this show. I have no doubt they intentionally started off the musical theme with something that evokes another theme from The Lord of the Rings. But then I'm so glad that they took it in a d- different direction. It's so subtle. I mean, you have to have yeah. an ear for music and have listened to The Lord of the Rings a million times to have caught that. Um but it evoked it for me, but then it went a different direction. So what that tells me is they are paying homage to the original trilogy. It's going to be tied in aesthetically, but not completely. They're going to make their own stamp on it. They're going to go in their own direction. And that is the thing that I was dying for. I've talked about this a million times. I want the show to look and feel different than Jackson's interpretation. And I was a little bit concerned or saddened by some of the leaks that made it seem like they're just going to pick up all of Jackson's old work, his old models and Howard Shore's music and just sort of repurpose it and repackage it and plug it into the Amazon show. I was like, okay, we're not going to get anything different. But now I think that we are. They are going to um, evoke the themes and the look and the visuals from Jackson's film trilogy, but they are going to make it their own. They're going to take it in their own direction. Um, Right. It takes so much skill also for this musical piece. There's such a subtlety to the art of, of writing these kind of soundtracks Mm -hmm. to make something that's fresh that's original but that's similar is really a hard balance to strike and i think they managed it perfectly so we heard something new something almost entirely new with 
just enough of the elements from the previous soundtrack that we get it and it registers for us that right. they're related. Right. And it was very well done. It's beautiful. We've got strings, but lots of wind instruments coming together. And I'm just like breathing a huge sigh of relief that we're not going to have a, a very modern <laughs> sounding soundtrack. <laughs> you just never know. I, you know, I, I could have been into it. We've talked about this. I'm a little bit more open to that idea, but it is a riskier play. And it would, no matter how good it was, it would have, it was guaranteed to have turned off some people like you probably, you probably wouldn't have liked it no matter Definitely. how good it was. Yeah. So right. it's probably good that they went this route. It's kind of straight down the middle. It's exactly what we would expect from a, a fantasy world. Um, it, it, it uses a lot of those same tools. Um, but it was a very epic score, went in a lot of directions. We heard a few different themes, even in this short clip. Um, there were a couple of other, there were a couple of other little echoes from the Jackson films. There was about twelve seconds in, I think. There's a sound design element, sound design piece, right before the lava starts to flow, and we hear it's basically a volcano erupting. And I'm pretty sure that is the same sound they use for the eruption of Orodruin, Mount Doom in the Jackson films in, in the fellowship of the ring. I, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same sound clip. Um, someone should have to, to go and do a, a comparison, uh, but I think they used that familiar sound and plugged it in again to just kind of remind us, get us into that headspace. And this is where the ring was formed. We're going to see that. We're going to see yeah. Sauron in Mount doom right. in all likelihood. Yeah. Making that ring. And when when the music sort of gets a little bit more epic, there's uh, we hear the strings, a lot of glissando, which we talked about this in the Weathertop episode when we had Jordan on to talk about the music that was playing during Weathertop and the Nazgul's theme. Nazgul's theme, they use a lot of glissando, which kind of creates this like scary, kind of ghost-like horror movie type of vibe. They use that exact same technique. They they didn't use the exact same notes or anything like that. They use glissando, which to me just reminded me of uh, that portion from the Jackson movies. And maybe I'm digging a little too deep here, but it makes me feel like, hey, maybe we're going to see some Nazgul. We're going to see the the downfall of men and we're going to see the rise of the Nazgul. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if we're going to see the downfall of Numenor and we know there's a major plot line with the dwarves, why wouldn't we see that? Mm -hmm. It makes so much sense. Last thing that I noticed, um, I usually don't go in for this kind of thing, but I uh, I remember seeing people kind of freak out about the font because the text card for all of Jackson's films, the font was unique. They made it up. It wasn't any mm -hmm. sort of stock font. They created it especially for the movie. And I noticed that the font here, again, it was similar. If you go and compare them, they are very similar, but it is not the same. The R's are different. You know, the sweep of the letters is definitely different they created a different font but it also reminds me of the jackson font so again um, hearkening back to the jackson aesthetic but creating their own kind of slowly departing so I, I hope that is a harbinger of things to come that they will continue to kind of pave their own way while doing you know homage to jackson's visual work um, I, I just really want to see something unique and I, this gives me hope that we're going to get that Definitely. Another really cool thing that they decided to do was that Prime released um, at the in one of the teasers, um, they released the text, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, and they flashed on the screen 
um, all, this title in many, many different languages in quick succession, right? So that mm-hmm. we could see all these. And they ended with the title in Elvish, which I thought was really cool. Lord of the Rings yeah. Lord of Power in Elvish. Very cool. Yeah, it was just a cool touch and um, truly underscoring that this is going to have a global audience. There are so many yes. fans around the world yes. excited about this and waiting for this. And I, it felt like they're trying to make this accessible for everyone, ignite the whole fan base. And yeah, I think they succeeded in that. And I cannot wait for a more extensive trailer. We'll be waiting with bated breath. Yeah, and I think that Lord of the Rings is one of the most often translated texts. I'll have to get some numbers on that, you know, all the different languages that it's been translated into. But it certainly has a very global fan base, and um, which is kind of amazing because it is such a particularly English text um, oh, yeah. in the use of language. Uh, Tolkien being a philologist, there was so much special care put into word choice and all that, and I can't imagine the difficulty in translating that into another language, you know, getting it in another language. And are you able to appreciate all those nuances? You probably lose a lot in, in translation. It's almost certainly not possible to, to get the full beauty um, unless you're reading it in the native language. But um, nonetheless, uh, it is widely translated and widely beloved in other countries. So I'm glad that they're paying attention to that. I have a question for you. Um, so we already talked about the voiceover, almost certainly Morphid Clark being Galadriel. Again, another parallel to Jackson, um, you know, his choice to have Galadriel do the voiceover, which was not always guaranteed. They, they tested out having Elijah Wood do it as Frodo, I believe. I know that they were right. planning originally on having Ian McKellen do it as Gandalf, and they ultimately landed on Cape Blanchett, which was just so perfect. perfect. I mean, Cape yeah. Blanchett, A, I like having Galadriel do it it was kind of a brave move because she is not a main character. She's not even introduced until like an hour and a half into the first film or whatever, you know? And then she's not a huge player in the other films. You know, she has sort of a relatively small, an important role because Gladwell is important, but she's not uh, one of the nine walkers. You don't see her all the time. And so it's really gutsy to have this voiceover from a character we don't see. Um, so anyway, I'm just sort of fanboying out over Jackson's willingness to do that. But so it's, Great that they are echoing that here. Mm-hmm. Morphid Clark as Galadriel, how do you put her voiceover up against Kate Blanchett's voiceover? How do you how did you like her voice, her delivery? Oh, I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, I, I loved it. I thought it was really effective because she put her own spin on it. Mm-hmm. She included some some pauses and some different interesting emphasis in places that I wouldn't necessarily have it definitely she was not just parroting what Kate Blanchett did mm-hmm. um and I again I believe her voice as a young young much younger Galadriel's voice mm-hmm. because you know Kate Blanchett's voice is one in a million right? Right, right it's so resonant and deep and she has such incredible vocal range um that you know you can't really compare like comparing anyone to her is just totally unfair she's in her own (laughs) she's in her own league but i think morphe clark did an excellent job i think she has that quality of sort of an otherworldliness about her voice Hmm. maybe it's because she's not english if i'm not mistaken i don't think she's english or am i wrong about that 
Let's let's Google really quick. Yeah, let's find this out. Okay, we're gonna re- we're gonna fact check me in real time. Real time. I don't I don't think she's English. Welsh. I think she's she's Welsh. Yeah, a Swedish-born okay. Welsh actress. Yes. Swedish-born. There's something about her accent to me that's not straightforward, which mm-hmm. I think totally works for this voiceover. And she has an otherworldly quality to her voice that's really perfect. Um, and it's definitely higher. High, she has a higher register than Kate Blanchett. So that helps with the fact that she's in her youth during this time period. Even though she's still old, she's youthful for an elf, right? I mean, what, right. what did you think? Um, so I don't think too much about, you know, it's being previewed as young Galadriel. That's how oh she was cast as young Galadriel. I don't really think of her as young Galadriel because in the lifetime of an elf, uh, she was already very old. And like the second and third ages are a blip compared to the first age. So I, I don't necessarily, in my head canon, I don't think that Galadriel in the second age would like look different or sound different. You know, elves mature to a certain point and then they kind of stay there in terms of physical maturity. So I don't really think she would. I mean, they do. There is sort of an aging. We learn about that in the nature of Middle Earth. So there is some of that. But I don't know that her voice would change or her look would change. So I don't really I don't need to worry about that. So I'm not really caring about that too much. But just comparing the performance. You know, you're putting my head in a better space because I was like, man, it's nowhere close to Kate Blanchett because Kate Blanchett. But you're reminding me Kate Blanchett but was one. In a as million. I said, She's in a league of her own. Yeah, you can't compare them. Um, so maybe I just need to ease up a little bit. But uh, Morfitt Clark's voiceover was the one part of this teaser where I was just kind of like, eh, that's okay. I wasn't like stoked about it. You know, I wasn't excited. Didn't, I didn't think to myself, oh, this voiceover is incredible. I thought it was kind of, it was just fine. And maybe it's just because I'm comparing it in my head unavoidably to Kate Blanchett and it just didn't quite hit the same notes for me. Um, but it, it just kind of, it fell a little flat. I did like that she pronounced Mordor properly, you know, Mordor with the Mordor. little R's, <laughs> uh, which I can't even quite do correctly. But, uh, you know, she, I'm glad they're paying attention to that. And Gladriel would say it properly. So I, I appreciated that. Not shying away from proper pronunciation of tongues. Because if they botched up the languages and they didn't have the same attention to detail with respect to the languages as even Jackson did, um, I would be very, very disappointed that would be a huge misstep so huge misstep but yeah i thought i thought the voiceover was just kind of fine i was not super impressed i also didn't think it was bad it was just kind of whatever didn't land for you i think i was just so excited that they did that exact quote oh yeah um the full ring verse yeah i i was so excited that they did the full ring verse um and I think that, again, that that's what people recognize that. People are really connected to that, even if they're not huge book fans. People know that quote. So mm-hmm. very, very smart. And I, we should probably get, we should have gotten Jed Bornhold on here because he would have done this. But you could see in all the letters, you know, the rings of power, Lord of the Rings, the rings of power. So they had forged them all and actually they forged them kind of separately and assembled it. But on the sides of the letters, there is text. There's Tengwar text. Now, on the one ring, we know that the ring verse or a portion of the ring verse is on the one ring. So we would know what it says there. But it appears that there's Tengwar on the sides of all the letters. And obviously, they're not all the ring verse. Maybe maybe there's actually nothing there because it's not visible, so they didn't worry about it. But 
you know, we talked about this with the Jackson films. There are places where someone got a job to make sure that something was super accurate and, you know, referenced uh, lyrics or language from the books. And then it just totally gets lost. But someone was in there doing the deep work. And even though the details didn't come through, you knew it was there. I bet that someone had the job of deciding what was going to be written on the side of all those letters and translating it to Tenguar script and then putting it on there. And even though we can't see it, I bet it says something. So we need to get Chad Bornholt on here who <laughs> would probably spend the time uh, deciphering all that to tell us what it all says. Or if anybody listening wants to be a sleuth and come on here as a little a little guest spot and talk about that. Absolutely. We'll put, we'll put out the call. Um, but we want to hear your thoughts as well on this teaser are you excited are you encouraged what are what are you thinking after having seen this um are you enjoying the spoiler episodes in anticipation of the show because this podcast is going to be all about the show when it Mm -hmm. comes out um yeah we want to hear from you so feel free to get in touch you can always email us and you can find us on facebook twitter instagram we're on all of those you can email us at watchpartylotr at gmail.com. We would love to get some fan mail. And we we have uh, been meaning to do a mailbag episode. We have been getting um, some fan mail that uh, and just questions and comments. And we want to dive into that. We've been meaning to for a while now, and it's been building up. So we will do that in a future episode. Uh, next week, we will, or in the next episode, we'll return to our discussion with Chad Bornholt and Chad High. We're getting into the Council of Elrond. So we're finishing up. That's the third episode in that series uh, with those guys they were great fun to have on so we're going to finish that up in the next episode here and then after that we are doing another all news episode there's been a ton of news that has come out not even counting this teaser which we've devoted this whole episode to but a bunch of leaks that we really really want to spend some time discussing so we'll do that in the next episode after that and then it'll be back to the jackson material so really fun stuff coming up Lots to look forward to, including the show. The countdown has begun, folks, for me at least. The countdown has begun. Um, But thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you'll tune in next week as we wrap up that convo, um, get to the Council of Elrond, a very juicy scene, and may the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks. Until next time. Okay, folks, welcome to the Grey Havens. And we're going to do a fun little segment for this Grey Havens that I like to call, What are the Watchers Watching? So we are watch party. We like to watch different things. And I wanted to talk to you, Michael, because as many listeners know, I have mentioned on this podcast, I am not a Marvel person at all. (laughs) But I did watch Eternals. It's not the Eternals, it's just Eternals on Disney Plus. And while I was in quarantine, I was quarantined this past week. Um I really enjoyed it. It wasn't you did. the greatest I enjoyed it. All right. It wasn't the greatest movie I've ever seen. Nope. But it was <laughs> it was perfectly enjoyable. I think my expectations were probably so low that I was like, oh, this is yeah, I'm engaged. I'm paying attention. Because you haven't even really watched a Marvel movie in a long time, right? I mean, you basically no, gave up I've on watched... them in the first round. 
Yeah, yeah, I've watched I've watched a few. I'm not into the Avengers or Captain Marvel, any of that kind of stuff. Not into that. But I've watched a few that I've enjoyed. Just yeah. a few. Um, Black like you really Panther. liked Black Panther, right? Right. You told me. Yeah, that. I liked Black Panther. We, I think we talked about that. But yeah, I mean, did you see it? What did you What did you think of it? Yeah, I actually watched it recently, and I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was um, in the upper half of the Marvel sphere in terms of movies. Um, it wasn't the best movie. It's not like No Country for Old Men or anything. None of these Marvels are that. But uh, it was it was well done. I liked it. It was an ensemble movie, which was kind of fun. Not all the Marvel movies are like that. A lot of them feature, you know, a primary protagonist, you know, a Thor, uh, Captain America, an Iron Man, and then there's side characters around them. This is a true ensemble movie. I think there's like what nine or ten Eternals, and maybe like five of them that are receive a lot of the focus in the movie. Um, so it's it's fun to see that ensemble cast, and I thought it was I thought it was good. It's interesting. Um, it's always tough to, it deals with, you know, this is kind of spoiler territory, I guess, if you haven't seen the Eternals, but, or if you haven't seen Eternals, not the Eternals, <laughs> but as you, it, it deals with a lot of cosmic stuff, which a lot of these Marvel movies are getting into that with Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot of space alien stuff that goes on, which like early on, I always had trouble with that as a, as a comic book fan. I preferred the more kind of tr- terrestrial superheroes. I like Batman uh, when he's fighting the Joker and the Riddler. Uh, you know, I'm not as into Batman when he's like with with the Justice League and fighting with Green Lantern. It kind of takes me out of it a little bit. So all the space stuff gets a little bit wacky and there's tons of space stuff in Marvel and Eternals is all space stuff. You know, there's a Celestials which are these space beings that are responsible for creating planets and the Eternals are their creations that go around and protect the planets that are um, the hosts for their celestial babies. It's like this really weird uh, sci-fi type of plot, but they do it well and I buy into it and it's fun and it, it's, it's kind of crazy, but the craziness doesn't bother me. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Same, same. Took it with a grain of salt and enjoyed it. Um, the last, the last thing that I have that I wanted to mention as a follow-up a few, quite a few episodes ago, we gave each other recommendations of things to watch that we hadn't seen. Yeah. So I followed your recommendations for the most part. And I, I, the show that I absolutely fell in love with and have to give a rave review of is Search Party. Oh, I mean, yes. what a show. What so, a show. so outlandish and quirky and perfect and just dunks all over millennials. Uh-huh. <laughs> incredible show. So off like off color in the best way Uh but the most recent season really fell short for me so they just Mm. came out with a brand new season did you watch the brand new season we just watched it ourselves probably a week week or so ago yeah and it was disappointing to me i feel like i still enjoyed it but comparatively it was not as funny and not as not as good it it took it took some strange turns. It became an absolute oh, parody. It's, it's so strange. It's so strange. <laughs> and it became a parody of um, The Vow, first mm-hmm. of all, which is an amazing cult documentary. If you haven't watched that on HBO, go watch The Vow. Um, but it, it turned into a parody of a lot of different things. A lot of just, things. And it just became a little too slapstick for me and lost a lot of the clever banter. 
and a lot of things were left they didn't tie everything together nicely so and it makes sense in light of the fact that they were not going to do another season they were going to end with season three and so that was kind of clear that they thought well okay what are we going to do this time and it was just something totally out of left field i mean yeah what did you think i so amy didn't like it because she had very much the same reaction probably even stronger than you had it she's like this is too much there's no doubt it kind of jumps the shark a little bit but they do it knowingly, like eyes wide open, intentionally, deliberately, tongue firmly in cheek. I appreciated it and I enjoyed it still. And I think that it was what they did was smart. It, it was still um, scathing, you know, which is scathing of millennials in a lot of ways. And it sticks very much to that. And they kind of s- swung for the fences with this one. I appreciated the ambition in, in making this the season and without giving too much away just for people who were listening. So search party, the pr- basic premise is uh, so Alia Shawkat is the actress, the um, lead actress. And she's, you might know her from uh, Arrested Development. She is the, I can't remember her character's name, but she's like the daughter. M- maybe. M- maybe. Yeah. Maybe or Mabel or no, I think you're right. It's maybe. I think it's maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what a ridiculous name. But um <laughs> And so she's very funny and she's a millennial. She's got some friends and you get the opening episode. You get the sense she's a little like disillusioned with her life or whatever, a little bored. Um, and she sees a missing flyer on a telephone pole, a friend of hers from college, someone that she knew and all of her friends knew, maybe not a friend, but someone that she knew is missing. And it kind of just, it's like an earworm that gets stuck in her brain. She can't get it out. And she decides she must find this person. And <clears throat> so the whole season is kind of like about her trying to get her ambivalent friends who could not care less about other people in the world to care about this missing person and to basically go on a hunt for her. And and it's a little, you know, search party and it's a little bit of a mystery and it's a little bit of a comedy. It's a little bit of a drama, but it's very earthbound. You know, it, it feels like it's just dealing with very tangible and accessible concepts and themes because these people live in New York city and they're looking for somebody who's missing. We can all imagine ourselves kind of being in that place each season. It, they ratchet it up a little bit more and a little bit more, you know, the third season, I mean, admittedly you're, you're saying that the fourth season is kind of wacky and it is, but the third season was pretty wacky too. Um, and I'm trying to decide how much to give away here, but it just gets a little wackier. The fourth season is, it's a total space case it is totally crazy but they just it's like cults leaders <clears throat> and yeah she becomes yeah, kind she of a cult leader a cult leader who, who <laughs> teams up funny. with like the elon musk of the world to bring enlightenment to everyone and it's it's i think it's very funny it's still got a lot to like it, it is different i won't blame somebody for not liking it as much but they're just kind of said hey you know screw it it's the last season let's go let's go ham let's do something really crazy and uh, I admire the confidence, the chutzpah to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great. So thank you for that recommendation. And I will get to your other recommendations eventually. Um, anything you've been watching noteworthy or anything you want to mention? Maybe Boy, I was actually thinking about this the other day because it had been so long since we had our last what the watchers are watching little segment. And uh, I've watched a lot of things since then. But now the only thing that sticks in my head is Search Party. So... <laughs> That, you know, I, I kind of want to leave it at that because that show is so good. And, yes, um, it's so good. Go watch it. That, that it's season great. just came out and it's just just stupendous. I suppose I would say um, the other thing that I've been watching is Wheel of Time. 
and uh, not Wheel to of time. cannibalize our sister podcast, um, Watch Party Wheel of Time, where they really go into it. But I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, to the extent that the Wheel of Time is an indication of the quality of the Lord of the Rings, I hope that Lord of the Rings will be even better. But I thought Wheel of Time was very solid. You know, um, I'm enjoying it. I'm not done yet. But I have to agree. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, it's 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 different. There are some. I have my criticisms. Mm-hmm. I'll leave that to our other podcast hosts. But um, but overall, I think the acting is great. Uh, I think the plot is solid. Mm-hmm. I'm understanding it, which is a big thing because I haven't read the books, so I think that's a big test. Right. Right. Yeah, it's not a. It's not. Uh, you said you have your criticisms. It's not a perfect show by any means. But it is really good, and it's a fantasy show that you can take seriously. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's um, I read a quote somewhere that uh, fantasy is best when it is when it's taken seriously, and not when it is like tongue in cheek or with a wink to the camera, which is some people's criticisms of the Jackson films. Sometimes he's like, "Oh, I got to lighten the mood here. I got to have Gimli burp. I gotta, I gotta have some jokes and some silliness." Um, whereas Tolkien's Lord of the Rings was more serious. Right. Um, and Wheel of Time takes itself seriously. There are moments of levity there between the characters, but it's not like, you know, f- breaking the fourth wall. Is it breaking the fourth wall or the third wall? It's the fourth wall. The fourth <laughs> Breaking the seventh wall. <laughs> None of that stuff where they're like winking at the camera type of levity. It's, it's in-universe right. levity that um, doesn't it's disturb. It's tasteful. It doesn't disturb the earnestness of the storytelling. Um, yeah, music is definitely. good. They mm-hmm, practical mm-hmm. effects, not a lot of BS CGI. When they use CGI, it's effective. It looks good. So um, it gives my stamp. Yeah, I have to agree. Sure. And something I really enjoy about that show is it is so you've got every race. Re- it seems like represented. It's so diverse. Mm-hmm. There are lots of female characters, lots of male characters, lots of people of different colors, different shapes and sizes, all over the place. And it's it's really beautiful to see all that representation on screen and just really phenomenal acting i have uh, no complaints about mm. the acting yeah yeah uh the race thing I, th- I think if people that's part of the dialogue here and in, in anticipation for the lord of the rings is are they going to make elves diverse or are they going to have individual groups diverse within themselves and some people not liking that like you know people in one group uh, the Numenorians all have to look alike and the hobbits all have to look alike. Um, they all have to be one race and, and having a multiracial, multi-ethnic um, representation within a group. It's like, oh, it's, it's BS and, it, and it, it's totally unrealistic. I think if you want to see how that plays on screen, watch Wheel of Time and it yeah, exactly. It's not a pro- it's it, not a problem. No, it, it not works a problem fine. at all. You don't even think about it except no. to say like you don't even think it never even occurred to me to say like oh, okay, they're in a specific city and this person is a black person, she's the leader, and so why aren't they all black? Like that's such a silly mm-hmm. that would never even cross my mind. You know, it doesn't matter at all. It matters, I think the representation matters, but you're not sitting analyzing that. And I understand there's people in the Tolkien fan base who be, who feel like it goes against canon. Da, 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 but Which I, it doesn't. Just, it doesn't. It, FYI. It, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it does. And I also don't think it it matters in that way. Right. Um, it, and uh, yeah, it just, it, there's a, a really nice cohesion 
amongst the actors and the the dynamics are really strong the the relationships and the dynamics between the actors the chemistry is is really great so so yeah i'm enjoying it i'll 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 finish it i've been working my way through it slowly yeah and we'll be doing a mashup episode with Rourke to talk about the wheel of time and how it parallels in some ways the fellowship of the ring um, robert jordan was a it's well known that he deliberately uh, made the Eye of the World, the first book in the series, sort of track the some of the basic plot points of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, the story, a lot of the constructs within the story mirror the Lord of the Rings in general. And he did that deliberately to make it easier for fans to sort of buy into the fantasy world he was creating. Um, but then he takes it in a totally different direction and it is a very different story. But so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to have a mashup episode. It'll release on both of our pod feeds. Um, and that's going to be coming up pretty pretty soon here in a you know, we're going to try and record that um, as soon as Jen finishes watching the season. We'll record it. It's all on me. I'm close. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting there. But the, the last thing I want to say about Wheel of Time is one of my favorite little bits about it is that Amazon presented us with simultaneously with the release of the show a ton of behind the scenes. There's behind the scenes content. There are origin stories. We love um, an origin story. Animated origin stories from the Age of Legends, the history behind the story. It's not a part of the story proper. It doesn't talk about the characters in the story. It talks about the ancient history of the world. And that is exactly the type of thing I like with Lord of the Rings. The appendices Tasty from treats. Jackson's films were like my favorite part practically, almost as much as the films totally. themselves. And totally. so I love that they're already gearing up to do that. That means we're definitely going to get with Lord of the Rings. And I'm going to choose this moment to throw out my personal pet theory. The image that we received that was the first sort of teaser image or set image of the two trees in Valinor, I think that is not going to be in the show itself. Hmm. That's my theory. Everybody's saying, oh, it's reasonable. going to be in the, the prologues, the first two, two episodes, the prologue um, episodes. And it could be. But I think it could be part of um, sort of an origin story behind the scenes animated vignette that Amazon will release, mm. which we know they're doing with Amazon, uh, with Wheel of Time, and that they'll likely do with Lord of the Rings. That image oh, wow. looks a little animated to me, a little bit drawn, and it I, does. I I think it very well could be that, part of an origin story that will release as a separate standalone uh, little tasty treat. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. That hadn't even occurred to me. The only thing that I would say is I, I've always felt like it's going to be as a flashback because be, we know yeah. we get to see Galadriel crossing the Hel Karakse and all these early memories that she has. We know we're actually going to see that. Right. Well, according to Foff, right? Um, Foff. Fellowship of fans. Foff. According to Foff. Foff. Um, and so I've always... I've always envisioned it as flashback, but I think you might be totally right. And that's exciting as well. That could be really cool. Yeah. So yeah. again, just a lot of speculation. We don't know what the hell we're talking about here, but uh, <laughs> that's what we enjoy doing. Well, I think that's, uh, that's, let's call it a show. I think that's a show. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.